Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, you little whores? We are back. Round six, MMA talk. Fight after the fight. Me, your boy, Noah fucking Petrie. Bro, I'm tired. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm exhausted right now. I'm burning the candles in both ends. When I mean both ends, I mean my fucking mouth and asshole. Because I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Don't feel bad for me, though. Because I'm recording this at approximately... 12 16 a.m tuesday june 28th i am tired bro this shit's about to release in about five hours i gotta edit this bitch after which is gonna suck fucking massive black cock it's just gonna be trash i have a pine scented candle going on in the background you know just to give off the immaculate vibes but other than that bro your boy's tired i took a energy drink I think it was The Rock's, The Rock's energy drink. Shout out to The Rock, sponsor me puto. I don't know what his energy drink is called, Zoa, some shit like that. I don't know. It's very tribal. Um, Only got it because it was no sugar. It tastes okay. Kind of tastes like wine punch. But besides that, it's doing its job and it's keeping me awake. So shout out to The Rock. Shout out to your f- weird energy drink. I don't know what the fuck it's called. Either way, this is episode 9 of the podcast. I'm going to be going over... Gamrot versus Sarukian, um, MMA news and drama, and of course, UFC 276 is this weekend, so I'm going to be going over my picks for that um, upcoming pay-per-view. So let's not waste any fucking time, and let's get into it, shall we? So I'm going to be going over first Demopolis against Fry. Now, do I actually was going to bet on this fight. Just because Fry, her her record, you know, she's been in the game for a very long time. Doesn't have the greatest record in the world. Demopolis is an up and coming prospect. Um, she was, I think, Fry was a heavy favorite going into this fight. So I thought, you know what, might as well put some money on Fry. For some reason, I thought this fight was going to be next week and not this week. Well, last technically last week and not this week. So as I was watching, like, oh shit, you know, she's fighting right now. It is what it is. Can't bet in it now. But um, or you could be a degenerate and bet in between rounds, but I'm not gonna fucking do that. <laughs> like you have some real problems to bet in between rounds. But um yeah, man. She, I, I, at the first round I gave it to Fry. Fry with effective striking. Um, Demopolis took the second round with her grappling. I think it was a clear third round for Demopolis as well. Now, here's the thing, right? Here's my hot take. We're going to start off three minutes into the podcast with a hot take, of course, because it's me. So the MMA fan base, not the entire fan base. Let me be clear. Let me be clear about that. But a lot of the fan base, if you see a woman in MMA or in the UFC and they're up and coming and they're gaining a lot of buzz, it's most likely because they're attractive. It's most likely because they're hot or they they're have charisma of some sorts. Now, Demopolis, a very good fighter in her own right. Don't, don't get me wrong. She is very attractive. She has the fucking, 
the yams on her. You know what the yams are. It means a fat ass. Shawty got the yams. So she's just a good looking woman, a good fighter. Got the yams. It was a former stripper. She jumped on Joe Rogan and she went viral doing that. She did the same thing with Michael Bisping. I know Michael Bisping's fucking wife was tight when she saw that. But um, yeah, I guarantee you the reason why most guys in the MMA sphere are, are why she gets so much buzz is just because she's attractive. Again, look, she's a good fighter. I'm not saying she's a bad fighter. She is a good fighter. Has she really beaten anyone noteworthy? Absolutely not. So is there necessarily a reason for her to garner this much attention? Is she coming from, you know, a background like Ioana Jacek or Valentina Shevchenko, who there are multiple-time Muay Thai world champions? No, she doesn't have that either. And I'm not downplaying Demopolis' abilities. I am saying she's a good fighter. But what I'm saying is... If you see a woman fighter that is getting all this hype and is getting super popular out of nowhere, it's most likely because they're attractive because a lot of the MMA fan base are guys and they are pigs. Not saying all of them. Of course, not my fans. My fans are the, 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 the you know outstanding citizens. But most of the MMA fan base, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, they are kind of pigs. So I'm just giving you a heads up. And, and of course, look. Am I a fan of Yeah. Do I think she's attractive? Yes. But I do think she's a good fighter. She has something she needs to work on, some kinks, but she is a fairly good prospect in my regards. Then we're going to get into Oberg against Natrukwi. I think that's how I pronounce his name. I'm not exactly sure. Please don't attack me on that one. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be 100% honest. I think it's the same shit that, you know, Demopolis and... This, this suffer from the same thing from the Demopolis and and Olberg. Olberg is overrated in my opinion. Now Olberg clearly an attractive dude. He's a good looking guy. This is what it is. He had a, a fairly good kickboxing career, but I feel like it's the same aspect and Demopolis the same thing with Olberg in that this person's an attractive person and he's garnering Dishman's hype. And of course, he's fighting out of city kickboxing, so anyone who fights out of city kickboxing is going to have some hype behind them. But listen, I think he's overrated. Why do I think he's overrated? One, his first fight in the UFC, he got laid out. He, he was winning the fight, but he gassed out and got laid out. His second fight, he didn't look that good. Even Michael Bisman said in the broadcast, he didn't look that good in the second fight. And the third fight, yeah, he got the knockout, but look at your opponent. So, I don't... I, I just I, I personally just don't really see the hype around him. Yes, he has good striking. I'm not saying he doesn't have good striking. He has good striking, but how is your gas tank? How is your takedown defense? How is your takedown offense? I mean, we know the gas tank isn't necessarily the best, but it we haven't seen any other parts of his game. And he hasn't been, you know, as oppressive and as dominant in his stint in the UFC so far. Maybe I'm not cutting him some slack. I, I want to see him continue. I want to see his fights. I want to see where he's made off of, of. But am I as hyped for him as, you know, as someone like a Patty Pimbley or Sean O'Malley or those kind of prospects? No, not at all. So I'm just going to be upfront honest. Yeah, it was an oppressive knockout W, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm not oppressive of him. And he's going to have to show me more, to be honest with you. Um, then we have Chris Curtis against Vieira, Carlos Vieira. Now, dude, Chris Curtis' takedown defense, I think he stuffed every single one of Vieira's takedowns, which is very good for Chris Curtis because if Vieira was going to win, it was going to be through grappling. He was going to have to take Curtis down and tap him out. 
That was the only way Vieira was going to win. There was no way Vieira was going to compete on the feet with Chris Curtis. That was my that was my thought coming into this fight. Now, Vieira did pretty good on the feet. He did a lot better than I thought he was going to on the feet. He did do a, a good job mixing up his striking. He was utilizing a lot of leg kicks. Chris Curtis, the first two rounds, wasn't really throwing that much. And the first, he didn't throw. He lost that round. The second round, he started to throw more, but it was more so to the body. He did do an excellent job going to the body. He didn't do enough going to the head or, you know, mix up his striking and throwing leg kicks. The third round, he really started to pick up the pace and was landing the most dominant shots. I think he won rounds two and three. I think he lost the first round. I would have loved to see him throw more combinations in general. He was really just throwing those one-offs to the body and the overhand rights to the head. Um, he didn't really utilize leg kicks at all or anything like that. He did a very good job stuffing all of Vieira's takedowns, um, and he, he he had a pretty smart game plan going into it. He was going to the body of Vieira, and Vieira, we all know, has a bad gas tank. So if someone just, if you already have a bad gas tank, if someone's constantly targeting your body, left and right, left and right, just going to drain your gas tank even more. So very good game plan from Chris Curtis going into the fight. Um I, my only critique to him is that I want to see him throw more combinations and utilize some leg kicks or some body kicks a little bit more. Um, for Vieira, this is a, a really big issue with jiu-jitsu guys that we're seeing now and it's getting exposed in high-level MMA. Jiu-jitsu guys tend to have terrible takedown offense, horrific takedown offense, and they tend to have bad stand-up too. So yeah, they're a wizard on the ground. If they get you on the ground, the fight's over. But you got to get the motherfucker to the ground first. And if you have bad takedown offense and your striking is not that good, so you can't, you know, knock your opponent down and and utilize your, your submission skills like what Charles Oliveira did to Justin Gaethje, then you're kind of shit out of luck. And we've seen this time and time again with modern day, you know, jiu-jitsu guys going into MMA where their background is in jiu-jitsu. They tend to have terrible takedown offense. Horrific takedown offense. That's something that really needs to change in jiu-jitsu. And I, I've, I've listened to, Don, to uh, John Donaher. He mentioned this before. There's some major issues in jiu-jitsu, and that's being one of them. Takedown offense. So he's training his guys to be good grapplers, good wrestlers, not just you know good submission experts and specialists. So I do agree on that. I do think Vera needs to work on his takedown offense a little bit more because Chris Curtis, to my knowledge doesn't have a wrestling background most definitely doesn't have a defensive wrestling background so if he's able to stuff all 11 every takedowns bro that's an issue that's something that you need to work on and on top of that he wasn't he wasn't throwing combinations and threatening with the takedown all he was just shooting for it from afar so you can see that the, the takedown coming from a mile away which is just another sign of someone who's having bad takedown offense so that's something that i would love to see Vieira work on if he's able to work if he's able to work on hit and you don't have to be khabib of course like you don't have to be you know doing double legs left and right or you know foot sweeps or anything like that you could be someone like a like a uh a global Teixeira where he grabs that one leg and he lifts it up and goes for a high crotch but it just seems that Vieira is having trouble with his takedown offense. That's something he definitely, definitely needs to work on. But I love Chris Curtis, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't think he was going to beat Phil Hawes, but he knocked Phil Hawes out. He's losing that fight, but he knocked Phil Hawes out. 
He beat Vieira. Phil Haas is coming off a win. I would love to see them run that back. I think that would be interesting. But, dude, I like Chris Gertz. He's a nice guy, very friendly. He even says, you know, his coach is telling him to to really get in there. He's not your friend, et cetera, et cetera. But I like him. I, I really like him. I think he's a good dude. Now I want to get into Namargo Madoff against Mainz. Namargo Madoff, Umar Namargo Madoff, as we all know, it is Khabib's cousin. Um, And he did to Mainz what we all expected him to do to Mainz, to be honest with you. All of us knew coming into that fight that... That Nurmagomedov was, of course, he's from Dagestan. He is cousins of Khabib. He's going to be an excellent grappler, excellent wrestler. So we all expected him to go in there, get takedown after takedown, control position, and basically ride it out to a decision victory or maybe even get a submission. Now, what he does need to work on is ground and pound. Yes, he has tremendous wrestling. He's able to get his points to the ground, but he doesn't really utilize the same ground and pound that his cousin Khabib did. Yeah, that's cousin Khabib did. Or he doesn't really threaten with submissions that much as to what Islam does. Because Islam doesn't u- utilize ground and pound the same way Khabib did, but he's constantly threatening with submissions, which Khabib didn't really do that much. Yeah, he'll get you in a submission later on, but he's not constantly threatening with submissions. That's what Islam does. Khabib did mostly the ground and pound. Islam threatened with submissions. Umar, yes, he was able to get his opponent to the ground, but he kind of just laid there at times. He didn't really, you know, work forward or do affect the ground a pound. Just a couple times we threatened submission. But either way, it was an impressive victory on the Margamayas we have. And I want to see him fight a grappler. I would love to see how he fares against someone like a TJ Dillashaw or the champion, you know, Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan, people who are very good grapplers and wrestlers. Then again, Namargomayev is not even ranked, so I'm jumping the gun there. Definitely fucking jumping the gun there. But I would just love to see him fare against another wrestler. Whenever I see these Dagestani guys, the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to see him fight someone who is high level in jiu-jitsu and someone who is a wrestler. Just because I, I, I want to see how those styles would mix and match and how they would pair up. Now I want to get into Rachmaninoff against Magni. Magni for most people was a tough out, but Rachmaninoff made it look easy. I expected Rachmaninoff to come into this fight and kind of dominate Magni, to be honest with you. Um, Magni, as we all know, has an issue with grapplers and wrestlers. And this is no takeaway from Magni. Magni is game bred. The dude would fight anyone, anywhere to his detriment. Like when he decided to take this fight, I think this was a horrible fucking matchup for him. But he did it anyway, which much respect to him. I wouldn't have done it. But Rachmaninoff was able to. I think Magni out the gate came out a little bit jittery. I think he came out with like two head kicks, you know, right off the bat, and um, Rachmaninoff was able to grab the kicks and and get Magni to the ground. But uh, dude, Rachmaninoff just controlled Magni on the ground the entire time. The one thing that Rachmaninoff does that's so interesting is a standing ground and pound. He doesn't really go for top position and full mount and just ground and pounds him that way like most people do. He stands above him and just completely unleashes that ground and pound, which is very interesting. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen anyone utilize it as much as him. Now, the issue with that is you can be susceptible to upkicks. So if you're fighting someone, a taller opponent who has longer legs, that could be an issue for you. There was times where Rachmaninoff got clipped with the upkick from Magni. 
that could be an issue going forward. But besides that, it's a very interesting and, and I'm not going to say weird, but a unique thing to see someone utilizing that standing ground and pound. But he got a submission victory, got the guillotine. I really, I expected this much from Rachmanov, to be honest with you. I knew he was going to win this fight coming into this. I would love to see Rachmanov fight someone like a Sean Brady. I believe both of them were undefeated. That would be a very interesting fight. Two, two high-level wrestlers, high-level grapplers getting into it. I think that would be a very, very interesting fight. Very interesting fight. What I wanted to see more was Rachmanov utilizing his striking a little bit more. Because what Rachmanov tends to do too, and I'm talking about in this fight, what he tends to do is he would play on the back foot. He would be pressed against the cage. He would let his opponent, you know, do the dominating in that fashion and try to shoot for a clinch and their reverse position to get a takedown. He's done it so many times now. I believe uh, Luke Thomas was the first one to actually point that out. But I would have wanted to see if he was going to utilize that a little bit more, how his striking is, because he does have pretty good striking too. I think he's just an all-around package. I would love to see him progress into the division. Maybe a, a next good fight would be like a Michael Chiesa. Then again, Chiesa is coming off of a loss, and we've seen what Brady was able to do to Chiesa. Either way, I think that'll be an interesting fight too. So I'm excited for Rachmanov. I'm excited for his potential. And another great fight, Rachmanov Shamayev. But with that, you're jumping the gun there. Shamayev is what? Rank three? Rachmanov is rank what? I don't know, 14, 15. 13, somewhere around, so one of those numbers, one of the, one of the teens. So it's, it's something that's not going to happen anytime soon. Now I want to get into the main event. Gamera against Sarukian. Dude, this was some high level grappling. This is one of those, this is one of those grappling matches, not grappling matches, this is one of these, one of those fights that, because most people, most casuals in MMA, they associate grappling as being boring. Which at times it's right because grappling at MMA at times can be very boring. But this is one of those rare times you have two very high level grapplers who are just going at it, constantly reversing each other's positions. It was beautiful to see. That first round was grappling textbook 101, constant reversals. Gamera would shoot for a takedown, get a takedown, Sarukin reverse it, Gamera also reverse it, Sarukin reverse it on top of that, get back to the feet, they're standing, and it would, the whole thing would just recycle over and over and over again. It was very cool to see. I loved it. I thought this, I actually thought this fight was going to be more striking heavy. Granted, there was a lot of striking being thrown, um, more so on Sarukin's behalf. I think Sarukin was getting the better of the exchanges. He was utilizing light kicks and mixing up the striking more so than Gamrot was. I think Gamrot was really relying on his grappling a bit much in this fight, especially towards the later rounds of the 4th and the 5th when Sarukin started to tire out. But usually when you have two high-level wrestlers, the wrestling kind of cancels out and it just becomes a sloppy kickboxing match. A good example of this is Kobe Comfort against Kamaru Usman. Granted, they had a lot of bad blood going into that fight, so they really just want to keep it on the feet and just, you know, bash each other's brains in and give each other CTE. But you tend to see that when two high-level wrestlers are fighting each other, it's that that whole wrestling background kind of cancels out because they know, you know, that's their specialty, that's their specialty. So they tend to stand up and it becomes a sloppy kickboxing match. I thought that was going to happen. I thought 
striking exchanges wise Sarukian is a better striker but then again he never been to the fifth round so we'll see how he fares gas tank wise um but as i said before last week i said i thought Sarukian was going to win honestly i said background wise what he was who he fought so far the caliber of fighters um striking wise too i thought Sarukian was going to win but gamera is a live dog he can definitely win this competition, especially because it's five rounds and Suruki never been to the five rounds, so put your money on Gamrot. So if you put money on Gamrot, like I did, you won money. So shout out to me, shout out to you. Um, shout out to Gamrot for winning me 300 bucks. So I'm just I'm just winning money here, folks. If you're not taking my picks, then you're loot. If you're not taking my picks, you, free money is flying out the window because your boy is hardly ever wrong. If I am wrong, then there was, you know, five, six other times where I was right. So you lost a little, but you gained so much more. So, bro, free money throwing out the window right now. I don't have to do these picks. Most most people in MMA sphere don't do picks because, you know, in fear of being wrong in retaliation from fighters. I don't give a shit about either or. But your, your boy has a track record. You got to listen to me. Throw that money around. Of course... If you have gambling issues, don't do that. And only bet as much only bet as much as you're willing to lose. Don't ever bet anything more than a couple hundred bucks. I don't care how much money you have. I mean, if you're Drake and you're you're getting paid from a gambling site to fucking gamble and you're using house money, okay, it's a little different. But we're not Drake. We're fucking broke out here. So only gamble as much as you're willing to lose. Period. No matter what type of gambling it is. And don't really don't gamble on rounds or how, don't gamble on in between rounds and how fights are gonna end. I never do how fights are gonna end unless I'm 100% sure of it. Like if it was a Khabib fight, I would bet money on Khabib winning by submission. I'm not gonna do submission round four, but I'll say Khabib most likely by submission, so I'll do that. And I won't even bet that much money on it. But MMA is so unpredictable that I tend to stay away from how fights will finish, just who I think is gonna win. Which you have more control in that factor. So back, let me scratch the whole betting part, <laughs> betting aspect of it. But I gave my reasons as to why Saruk, why Gamrock can win. Now I think Sarukian definitely won rounds one and two. Clearly won round one and two. He did a very good job stuffing Gamrock's takedowns. Gamrock, wrestling is very very good. He does have one issue. The one takedown he tends to go for nonstop is that single leg to a high crotch. He was trying to do that so much Sarukin that he wasn't working. It wasn't working at all. Either Sarukin was reverse position once it got to the ground, or he was able to stuff that takedown. And Gamera just kept going at it, just kept going for that same takedown. And I get it. That's his specialty, and that's what he does. But... If you're constantly using the same kind of takedown, the same kind of moveset, and it's not working, bro, you need to switch it up. Because clearly it's not working for a reason, so try try something new. Try something different. I'm sure he can do double legs. I'm sure he can do foot sweeps. I'm sure, But if you keep going to that single leg to a high crotch and your opponent keeps stuffing it, probably you want to try something new. Now, it started to work towards the later rounds of 4th and 5th for Sarukian was tired, but it wasn't working rounds 1 through 3. So I gave Sarukian round 1, round 2. Round 3 is kind of up in the air. 
You could have gave it to either man, to be honest with you. I personally gave it to Gamera. I think his effective grappling won him that round. Round four, uh, Sarukin was clearly tired, was tired out. Round five, the same thing. Sarukin never been to the fifth round. Gamrod has. Sarukin was tired in the fourth, definitely t- fatigued in the fifth. And Gamrod ended up winning the fight, which not mad at, at all. I won money. I'm not necessarily surprised that he won. I didn't expect him to win. The same thing with, uh, with, with, I'm blanking out on his name, Cater and Emmett. Same thing with Cater and Emmett. Didn't expect Emmett to win, but I'm not surprised that he won. What's next for Gamrot? Interesting, interesting, interesting question. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I have to look at the lightweight rankings. I have to see who's available for them, for each, for each of them to fight. Same thing with Sarukian. Um, I don't think either man's stocks goes down after his fight. Of course, Gamrot won, so his stock goes up. I don't think Sarukian's stock goes down. I think you should be wary on his his stamina going to the fourth and the fifth rounds going forward. But I know that's something that he could possibly work on um, going forward. But it was a tremendous fight. This was high-level grappling at its finest. Anyone who says grappling is boring... Just showed them this fight. It was entertaining as fuck and a pleasure to watch. Now I'm getting to MMA news and drama. Dana White says that Volkanovski is going to move to lightweight if he beats Max. Usually, me personally, when it comes to double champs and people pursuing double champ status, I'm okay with it if that person defends their division multiple times. So if they defend the belt in their division multiple times, I'm generally okay with it because... You defended your belt. I don't like a motherfuckers like Connor who take 145 and immediately never defends it, goes to 155, never defends it, and leaves. I don't like that. That I don't like at all. Because you're not you're not a true champ until you defend the belt. In my eyes. In my eyes. Because defending it is a lot harder than winning it. And every champion will say that. Every champion is going to say that. Everyone says that. So you're not a real champ until you defend the belt. If you don't defend the belt, you weren't you wasn't a real champ. So in my opinion, Connor wasn't a real champ. He never defended either belt. And if he were to defend either belt, it would have been terrible matchups. His next matchup at 145 would have been Frankie Yeager. Frankie Yeager has tremendous wrestling. And this wasn't a wash Frankie Yeager. That Frankie Yeager at the time had a fucking amazing chin. And his next fight at 155 would have been Tony Ferguson or Khabib. Either one at the time, he would have lost. So, Volkanovski, on the other hand, he defended Head's belt multiple times. If he beats Max, that means he beat Max twice, technically. The first time around, yes. Second time, no, he lost it. But if he beats Max now, then he's just better than Max. It is what it is. They fought three times. In my opinion, each of them is one and one. Whoever wins this next one is clearly better than the other one. Then again, if they fought 10 times, one will win six and the other one will win four, and they'll all be close fights. They'll all be close fights. They're they're literally neck and neck. They got any given night, one's better than the other. But either way, if he were to win next, this one, then he beats Max technically three times. Now, you can wait around and fight someone like an Emmett who's, who's upcoming. I think Volkanovski will beat Emmett. Or you can wait for you know someone like a Bryce Mitchell or someone along those lines. Either way, I think 
I think it's fair for him to, after defending the belt so many times, to go up to light have to go up to lightweight and pursue greatness and try to become a, a double champ. I don't know if he's beaten Charlie though. Granted, Volkanovski is on the bigger side. He was, you know, two thirty rugby player, so his his bones are they're used to that carrying that kind of weight. He's a big, stocky dude. I'm sure he can make one fifty five easily, but he does tend to get hit a lot. Charles has the capability of putting people away. If Charles gets him on the ground, it could be a very huge issue there. I don't know if Volkanovski beats Charles at 155. I think Volkanovski has the best chance of beating Charles out of anyone in 155 right now. But it will be an interesting fight. It's a fight I would want to see and I would love to see. And I think Volkanovski earned the right to try to pursue greatness and become a double champ. Because he defended his belt multiple times. Then George Marshall wants to fight Connor. He says that will be the biggest money fight for both men. Yeah, I kind of agree on that. I think that fight makes sense, to be honest with you. I think that fight makes sense. One, they're big names. Both men are very big names. Both men are very big selves. On top of that, both men are coming off some pretty bad losses. Connor coming off the bad loss from Dustin. And uh, Jorge coming off the bad loss from Usman and from Kobe. So both men are coming from bad losses. On top of that, they're both big names. So, and size-wise, they're relatively the same because both of them are basically 155ers who went up to, to, to 175. So frame-wise, they're right around the same. On top of that, both men are strikers. I think and both men are very good shit talkers, so the press conference would be fucking hilarious. I think that's the fight to make. If I was, if I was Dana White, that's the fight I would make. That's the fight I most definitely make. And on top of that, you could do the whole BMF bullshit. That's the fight I would make. It's an interesting fight. I think Connor Chandler makes sense too, but I think Con- I think Connor has a better chance of being Maswell than he does being Chandler by far, because Maswell is little on the wash side. So I think Dana White should really look into doing that fight. But then again, we know Maswell is into it. We don't know if Connor's into it though. I do think Maswell, if he talks enough shit, he can convince Connor to do it. But then again, I think Maswell has an impending fucking assault case. So who knows? Who knows that he will be fighting? So I still think that's a good idea. Then we have Dana says that Usman is the best welterweight ever. Here's the thing. Dana White has been beefing with GSP forever. Ever since GSP decided to leave after basically losing to Johnny Hendricks. Now, I've never seen that fight. I've never saw that fight because I've just seen his favorite fighter of all time and I don't want to admit that he lost that fight. So if you never see it, you can never admit that he lost. So I don't know. I don't know because I never saw it. So um, everyone says he lost. So either way, on the record books, he won. So suck a dick. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sidetracking here. But ever since then, um, Dan, GSP just had a, a bad taste in Dana White's mouth. GSP comes back, beat Michael Bisping. He promised to defend it. He doesn't. He retires again. He wanted he wanted to do a union. He wanted to box. Dana White didn't want any of that. So, of course, he's going to say Usman is the greatest welterweight of all time. Now, in my personal opinion, do I think Usman is the greatest welterweight of all time? No. For the instance of, I'm not going to put title defenses into it because it's not necessarily fair 
JSP got a title shot after two fights. Usman had to go through nine fights. So I'm not going to put title defenses into it because that's it, that's not fair. That really wouldn't be fair. Usman have to defend his belt like another six times to beat GSP's record. And at that point, if you defend it another six times, you're the greatest welterweight of all time. But which is not going to happen because Usman is getting old. So I'm not going to put title defenses into it because it's just not fair. Now, what I am going to put into his resume, I'm going to put all around as a as a MMA fighter how good they are, how well-rounded they are, and I'm going to do resume. As far as well-roundedness, GSP is far more well-rounded than Usman. Yeah, Usman has worked on his striking, his jab, his striking still extremely rudimentary. Still very rudimentary. Yeah, he has a he has a good powerful jab. I'll give him that. The rest of his striking is not that good. GSP striking was was legitimately good. Legitimately good. He was he was a striker uh, in karate background before he picked up wrestling. The dude learned wrestling as a grown man. There's an old saying that you can't teach a grown man how to wrestle. Bro, GSP broke that stereotype. He learned how to wrestle as a grown man. Not only that, but he was out wrestling Olympic level wrestlers, which is fucking insane. Literally, he was out he was out wrestling people who are two divisions heavier than him, which is literally insane. Someone who learned wrestling as a grown man is able to do that. Is nothing short of impressive. So who's more well-rounded? GSP all day. Now, resume. Who has a better resume? GSP all day. Usman's resume is not bad. It's not a terrible resume. GSP's resume is just better. It's just simply better. So when you ask me who's the greatest welterweight of all time, I have to say GSP. Because you have the title defenses aspect into it. You have all-around who's a more well-rounded athlete, and on top of that, you have resume. Doesn't make any sense to say Usman. Usman's a very good waltz rate. I think Usman goes down as top 10 greatest fighters of all time, but is he the best waltz weight in my opinion? No. Am I surprised that Dana White says this? No, because he has an ongoing beef with GSP. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know for years that was the case. And, you know, Dana White is just being a fucking promoter and Usman's on his good side. So that's the reason why he's saying that. Then you have O'Malley saying that Khabib stepped away because of Charles Oliveira. He was saying that, you know, Charles Oliveira was a bad matchup for Khabib. And Khabib retired because of Charles. This is bullshit. I don't even know why I'm covering this, but this is bullshit. Now, do I think Charles Oliveira stylistically is a bad matchup for Khabib? Yes. Do I think that would have been Khabib's hardest challenge? Regardless if win or loss, yes, I 100% believe that. But did he retire because of Charles? No, I don't think he retired because of Charles at all. Um, I think he retired because his dad died and he just lost his motivation to fight. I, I seriously think that was the case. I think most people agree with me when we all say that's why he retired. His whole team was sidetracked in, in his retirement, but I do think that his dad was with him every step of the way and not have his dad there anymore cause him to retire. So fuck you, coronavirus, for ruining the one thing we always wanted to see, which was Tony Khabib, which would have ended terribly for Tony, and Charles Oliveira Khabib. Because no coronavirus, Khabib's dad would still be alive, Khabib would still be fighting. So fuck you, coronavirus. And now we have GSP 
says he wants a fighter who doesn't care about money to unify the fighters and make a union. I do agree that it would take a fighter who simply doesn't care about money, who just wants to create change in MMA, to possibly create that union to unify the fighters. Here's the issue with that, GSP. It's not going to happen. It's just simply not going to happen. The, the whole fighting community is very cutthroat. So there's a whole thing that it, you can be a champion or you can be a contender. You could turn on a fight because you're not getting paid well. And the UFC goes to someone else and you're be like, yo, fuck, I do that fight for that amount of money. I'll take that fight. That's always going to be the issue. There's, there's no unity in the fight game. There's not, there's not, there's not, you know, someone saying, oh, I'm not getting paid well, so I'm not going to take that fight. Anyone else in the top division saying, we're going to stand by this dude because you're not paying us what we want to either. So we're not, we're not going to take that fight either. There's not going to be any of that. There's going to be the one guy who's like, yo, there's a good opportunity for me. And it's, you know, paid a little more than I'm getting paid now. Fuck it. I'm going to take the fight. That's always going to be an issue. So, and on top of that, a lot of people, a lot of champs, the only way to have a full unionization is if most of the champs come together in the UFC and be like, yo, we're not getting paid what we want, so we're going to unionize. And if all the champs do it, everyone else in, you know, the divisions would, would kind of fall in line and some of them will start to do it as well or join it as well. But that's never going to happen. That's just simply never going to happen. Usman would never do that. Style Bender would never do that. Francis would. Valentina would never do that. Amanda would never do that. It's just, it's just never gonna happen, man. Unless there's government and you know entities that are involved in the creation of the union, that's the only time the union will ever happen. But if we are left to the fighters to do it, it will fucking never happen. Literally, is a waste of energy. A waste of my breath even talking about this because it's just simply never going to happen. Now, I want to get into the Petrie predictions for UFC 276. So first up, we have the main event, which I think Max and Volkanovski should have been the main event. I think that fight holds more weight than Anasana Canyonier, but Anasana is a bigger sell, so they're putting them as the main event. And you always tend to put the heavier weights as the main event. It's kind of weird. Um, but on the Sunday against Cannoneer. Cannoneer is a very good fighter. I don't think Cannoneer is winning this one. Yeah, there's a puncher's chance that Cannoneer hits hard. On the Sunday is too slick. His striking is far better than Cannoneer. Cannoneer does not have the wrestling capability to bring on the Sunday to the ground. Cannoneer couldn't beat Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker firmly handed him an L and broke his arm. I, I don't see Cannonier win this one, to be honest with you. I don't think Anasanya finishes him, but I think Anasanya is going to easily win rounds at least four out of the five rounds. He may lose the first, but I think he's going to win four out of the five. I don't think he's really going to be that competitive. And that's no shade of Cannonier. Cannonier is a great fighter. But I think, as of right now, I don't, I don't see Cannonier winning. I, I, the only reason why I'm okay if Kanyer even getting the title shot is because there's no other contenders in the division because Unsigned cleared them out. He cleared them out, man. He's clearing out the division. The division is kind of dead right now. That's why they're pushing Alice Pereira so fast because they want, you know, they want some life in the division, and there's just no life right now. So 
I, I just don't see Kanye winning, to be honest with you. I just don't. So if you want to fight to bet the house on, I'd bet the house on Asanya. As much money as you can, because I, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% positive he's going to win, unfortunately. Then we have Max Volkanovski. Now, Max is the underdog in this fight. Last time I checked, it was plus 185, which is interesting. I have some money down on Max, because if Max is an underdog, I'm always going to bet on Max. I do think this fight's going to be very close. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know who's going to win. I don't know who's going to win. When Max beat Cater, at that point, I thought immediately, if they fought now, Max would win. But after seeing Volkanovski's performance against Brian Ortega and seeing his performance against Korean Zombie and seeing Max's performance against Zaire, bro, I'm not even sure anymore. I'm not sure anymore. I'm really, really, really not sure anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be a very interesting fight. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna watch this fight like three, four times over, regardless of who wins. Of course, I'm a Max fan. Max is one of my favorite fighters of all time. I think if you're an MMA fan and Max is not in your top five or your top ten, there's something wrong with you. But I, I simply don't know who's going to win this one. I don't. I really, really, really don't. If you're going to bet, bet on Max because Max. Technically, he he won the second one. Let's be real here. He won the second one, and he is a betting underdog. So, if you're going to, uh, uh, he's a live dog. He's the livest dogs of all live dogs. So, if you're gonna bet money, I would bet hundred bucks, two hundred bucks on Max. I wouldn't bet anything more because I'm not a hundred percent confident he's gonna win. But he is the livest dogs of all dogs. I'm excited for his fight. It's the fight I want to see more than any other fight on this card. And this card is fucking stacked. But I simply don't. This is one of the few fights that I look at it and like, yo, I don't know who's going to win. And I'm excited for that. Next, we have Strickland against Pereira. And as we said beforehand, the UFC is streamlining Pereira to be the next contender against Anasanya. Because they have history. Pereira knocked Anasanya out twice. Pereira beat Anasanya twice in kickboxing. He knocked him out once in our last outing. A very bad knockout. Um, this is an interesting fight. This is definitely an interesting fight. Sean Strickland has very good striking. Very, very good striking. And Pereira gets hit a lot. Pereira gets hit a lot. He gets hit pretty often. His last fight, he was getting hit pretty often. Um, and was struck and with with Strickland, he just has that stamina and that gas tank, and he can just throw volume, man. He can just fucking just throw volume. So, that being said, I think if Strickland were to strike with Pereira, I think Pereira would knock Strickland out. I think Strickland would do a very good job putting in that volume, but I think Strickland would leave his chin open. I think Pereira would knock him out. If Strickland is smart, which I don't know, because the shit he tweets out is fucking retarded most of the time. But if Strickland is a smart man, he would grapple Pereira. There's no way that someone who just came into MMA has that good of takedown defense. There's no way. I don't care how fucking often you train takedown defense. There's just no way. There's no way for you to cover that much lost time. I don't know how good Strickland's takedown offense is. I'm assuming it's decent because he trains with people like Shemaev, whose takedown offense is incredible, and iron sharpens iron. So if Strickland is smart, he would take down Pereira. 
If he is not smart, he will stand with Pereira, who get knocked out. So that's my prediction for the fight. I put money on Strickland because Strickland is, I think he was plus 200, plus 208, something like that. He is a live dog. He can definitely win this fight if he grapples. So I put money on, on Pereira. I'm going to be honest with you. I want Pereira to win. I want Pereira to win. I think if Pereira wins, it just makes the division that more interesting, to be honest. Because now you have that that you know that history between Anasanya and Pereira and you know the UFC is gonna build that storyline. I do think Anasanya's style matches better with MMA than it did with kickboxing. Um, to be honest with you, but I would like Pereira to win. I think it throws a wrench in everything and I think it makes the division interesting. Um, but I have money on Strickland. Now, Munoz against O'Malley. This is an interesting fight because Munoz does have the capability to wrestle. He does have some fairly good striking. He is a little bit up, up there in age, but he does have a shit ton of experience. He is a veteran amongst veterans. Um... Sean Malley is a favorite. I do think Sean Malley is a favorite for a reason. I think he can definitely outstrike Munoz. I think Munoz is going to have to make it gritty, get in O'Malley's face, threaten to take downs, threaten to to clinch constantly in order to beat O'Malley. But I don't have money on this fight. I really wouldn't bet in this fight, to be honest with you. Um, As far as who I think is going to win, I give it to O'Malley. I think O'Malley is a favorite for a reason. And last but not least, we have... Jesus. We have Brad Riddell against Jalen Turner. Now, Brad Riddell is a plus 200 underdog in this fight, which is interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Brad Riddell has far better striking than Jalen Turner. Brad Riddell's striking is formidable. A lot of people seem to forget when Brad Riddell was fighting Fazayev, it was a three-round fight. Brad Riddell won those first two rounds. So if he didn't get KO'd in that last round, TKO'd in the last round, he was going on to win that fight because it was a three-round bout. So Brad Riddell's striking is far better than Jalen Turner's. Jalen Turner is the favorite, which I was actually very, very surprised at. Jalen Turner's on a win streak. On top of that, Jalen Turner has very good submissions. His takedown offense is pretty good, but he has very good submissions. Braverdell is the underdog, and he has far better experience. He's fought far better competition, and his striking is just that much far better. I have money on uh, Braverdell. If Braverdell's an underdog, I'm putting money on him. The dude's a fucking phenomenal striker. Can Jalen Turner win? Yes. He's going to have to grapple, get Braverdell to the ground, and submit him. I don't think it's going to be that easy for Jalen, because um, you have to do some striking before you have to do get uh, Brad Riddell to the ground. So I have money on Brad Riddell, but that's it for the podcast, guys. Of course, this episode drops every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Look out for it there on Spotcat for on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram Noah underscore eight underscore Petri or on Twitter at Noah Petri R six and. I hope you have a good week, guys. Bye.